0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Say Yes, Do Yes. If you guys will turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. Paul, I think it was just the batteries. This thing sounding better than it sounded in so long. You think it's the batteries? I think it's the batteries. Paul loves to buy new stuff. He's so sad right now. He had $2,000 antennas picked out to put all over the stage. So we... Just some Rayovac, son. Rayovac batteries, that's all we need. Sam's Club. (laughs) Oh, man. I like it. Paul has no poverty mindset in him. He is a son, and he knows it, and he I love that. He makes us think bigger. One time he said, "Man, we really need a um electric, not electric guitar, an acoustic guitar with an electric pickup because we don't have one, and we have several acoustic players, and we need one, and we can get this one for four hundred dollars." And so I was like, okay. Then he calls me. I'm like, okay, we'll do that. Then he calls me from the place. We can get this other one for $700. We can get this other one for $1,200. <laughs> this one's a lot better. I just keep going up. We can get this one for $2,000. And uh, I think we end up getting the better one. But um, We like to have good stuff so that our musicians can play amazing. All right, Genesis 22. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Did anybody listen Wednesday night to the live stream? I haven't been able to get away from it, so we're going to kind of pick up a little bit from that live stream. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning And saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose to the place. Oh, that's not the batteries. Of which God had told him. Get the antennas, Paul. (laughs) On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and i and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on isaac his son and he took his hand took in his hand the fire and the knife so the two of them walked on together isaac spoke to abraham his father and said my father and he said here i am my son isn't that great I love that. We're, like, sitting there, and it's just the two of us, and they say, Dad. And I'm like, yes. Just lead with, just talk. We're just here. You don't have to say Dad every time, you know. Tell them the other day, you say Mom 57,000 times. So glad my name's not Mom. It'd be awesome. <clears throat> here I am, my son. And he said, you know, like, there's nobody else there. I don't know. You don't have to say Dad, right? Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. All right, everybody say two minus one is one. That's subtraction, okay? We're done repeating. All right, smarty pants over here. Uh, Two minus one is one. Is subtraction. God never subtracts. God multiplies and increases. The increase of his kingdom shall know no end. And so you can't increase through subtraction. So God is always adding and multiplying exponentially to our obedience. What looks like surrender and sacrifice is really a gift, a reward, and a prize. Right? And so here we are. I mean, it's just real simple. Abraham tells the two guys with him, you guys stay here. The two of us, me and Isaac, are going to go up and make a sacrifice. What is happening here? What the plan is here is for two to go up and for one to come back. That's subtraction, right? And so here we are. Abraham has put the knife up. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son... Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So this is the promise In verse 15 that we see, but you guys know in Genesis 12, 1-3, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing." And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see this blessing, we see this promise in Genesis chapter 12, and then we see the Lord reiterate the promise in Genesis chapter 22. And so he just says the same blessing again, the same promise again, but he's already made that promise. And so if God reiterates that promise, there's this question mark in between. Look at, um, so, so it looks like sac- uh, sacrifice. It looks like subtraction. But what happens is, is Abraham comes back from Mount Moriah with a vision, with a greater vision, a greater redemptive revelation of God. Right. He sees God provide. He sees the lamb. Can you see that? In our obedience, in our sacrifice, in our joining him in his sufferings, we see him in a way that we didn't see him before. And so not only do they not lose one, they come back too, but they both come back with the revelation of the lamb. They both come back with a revelation of the heart of the Father. Right. And they, they have a deeper understanding of his nature. And so they can't move forward into promise without this process of getting a deeper revelation of the Father. They can't go into promise, okay? And so Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision... I read this all the time in the classic Amplified Version. It says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Okay, so you can want promise, try to obtain promise, beholding what looks like promise, but if you don't have a redemptive revelation of the Father with your promise, you will perish. So God, in his goodness, in his love, in his mercy, will uh, require things of us that seem like sacrifice, but really they're preparing us to be able to walk in the promise like we can't walk in the promise without that greater revelation. Are you guys with me? And so where there is no vision, the people, where there's no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Look at 2 Peter 3 in verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Okay? Don't let this escape your notice. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years... As one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why do we perish? We don't have a redemptive revelation of God, we don't have vision. And so, why do we not have the promise yet? Because God is merciful. He's more concerned about you not perishing than he is about you tasting the honey. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to enter Canaan land, eat of the spoil, but turn out perishing. Okay? And so, look at that. The verse that says he's not Slow as men count slowness. He's not delayed. He doesn't hold back, but he's patient. So we're talking about why things aren't happening fast enough. This passage is specifically talking about the return of Christ. But I think any passage that talks about any promise that God has made can be used to Exhibit the heart of God about all promises God has made. Okay? And so if he, he's talking about God is not slow, we're going to God. Why is this not happening? They're mocking in the previous verses. You guys are saying he's coming back, but he's not coming back. All this is happening. The people of God are impatient and starting to wonder, are these people right? What's happening? He says, God's not slow. God's not delayed. God's not having trouble bringing about what he said. God is patient. That means God is having to display patience to not give you the promise. It's literally... A struggle. Nothing's a struggle for God, but if He has to draw on His patience side, that means He has to temperance His desires to see it happen right now. That's patience. So why are you not in promise? It's not because God doesn't want you to be in promise right now. He's having to exhibit patience, waiting on you to get in promise. But you're too busy trying to avoid Mount Moriah. You don't want to get a vision. You don't want to see him come through and be the lamb. You never build the altar. You never go through anything that looks like it may be subtraction. So you're never able to be multiplied. And so he's having to be patient, waiting on you to line up with him. And the longer we circle mountains, refusing to ascend them, because we're afraid of what we may have to do at the top, we'll never see the lamb in his full glory. And we won't be prepared to walk in promise because he loves us too much to just give us stuff. Remember, he said, I would that you prosper. I want to give you stuff. And be in good health. I want to give you health, even as your soul prospers, though. So I'm not just going to give you stuff and health if it makes your soul not prosper I want all of you to prosper I want you to be complete and lacking nothing as I am complete and lacking nothing be ye holy as I am holy He's concerned about your wholeness Not about your stuff He's made you promises and he is having to exhibit patience out of his great mercy. Because he knows even in promise you could perish. But you need that redemptive revelation. So he's having to exhibit patience. He's not slow. You're slow. He's not slow. He's waiting. he's, He's waiting. Can we go? Can we get there? Look at Matthew 19. Someone came to him and said, verse 16, someone came to him and said, teacher, they highlight this passage in your Bible, probably the rich young ruler. I love what Damon Thompson says. We really should call him the poor young pauper. Because he had a bunch of stuff, but he was on his way to perish. Right? Why would God say you had to get rid of your stuff? Can you not have stuff in promise? You can unless the stuff makes you not depend on a redemptive revelation of the Father. Anything that you'll look to as your redemption other than looking to him will cause you to end up perishing because you'll put your confidence and your faith in it and one day it'll be stripped away. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, then he said to him, which ones? (laughs) Which ones? (laughs) Isn't that what we do? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is such a picture of religion. Every Sunday. Which one? How many? How many do I got to attend? Okay. How How many songs do I have to stand up through? Do I have to raise my hands any today? We're constantly balancing what we have to do. We're constantly trying to figure out what is the bottom line? What is the lowest bar? what Which ones? He told him, the young man said to him, all these I've kept since my youth. What am I still lacking? What am I still lacking? I think it's amazing that he knew he was lacking. I mean, because according to the law, He was great. Right? That's what happens at the end of religion. I got the list. I checked it twice. Right? I did the things. What am I lacking? Redemptive revelation of the Father that only comes from Mount Moriah. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete... If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor so you will have treasure in heaven. Subtraction? Subtract yourself all the way to completeness? Subtract yourself all the way to infinite fullness? Looks like subtraction, but it's multiplication. Multiplication. It's when that other realm gets involved. Right? Get to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You're complete based on what happens in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. Luke chapter six. I know we we're, we we're, we're, we. I got a lot of things to unpack. Luke chapter six, verse forty six. What good does it do for you to say, "I'm your Lord and Master," if what I teach you is put into practice? Yes. Let me describe the one who truly follows me, and does what I say. He is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest, for it has been wisely built on the right foundation. But the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey, it is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation whatsoever. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. Which of these two builders will you be? So this picture today, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? You can call him Savior, but you can't call him Lord. Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? And if you're one who doesn't do what I say, it's like building a house with no foundation. And it won't stand the test of time. What I'm getting at today is we need to be people who say yes. Yes to whatever path he's leading us to understanding. I I wish I, I thought of an illustration this morning, but it was too late. I wish I just had center blocks today. And I wish I had yes, spray painted on each one or labeled on each one. And your life, your promise, your wall that Nehemiah built, your security, your life Of promise is just a culmination and an accruing of yeses. That's what God builds your life with. Yes, 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 Yes. no, and this the building just is on standby. We're holding. We're out of bricks right now. We got one row done, and we're out of bricks. God, what in the world? Why does it seem like every time it rains, I get wet? Well, you stop building. You stop saying yes. You stop following my lead. You quit doing what I was telling you to, And so we're just on hold. I mean, we're here. We're here. All the equipment's on standby. Like, you'd be surprised how fast we can work if you'll get us some more blocks. Uh, We can can do things, you know, I'm not slow. I'm just waiting on you. Right. I'm not delayed. I'm not some uh, some contractor that doesn't answer my phone calls. I'm here. I mean, I'm sitting on site. I'm ready. I mean, yeah, I got, I'm building houses all over the world, but I'm right here yeah. waiting. Yeah. If you'll hand me a block, I'll put it in right now. Yeah. We'll get this thing rolling. But I'm just being patient. Yeah. I'm just waiting on you to give me some more yes, to give me some more block, to give me some more material that I can work with to finish the promise that I've promised you. And so many times those blocks look like sacrifice. They look like subtraction. They look like they're going to diminish you. They look like it's going to cost you too much. It looks like something to be avoided. But you've got to move forward. If you're going to see him, take what looks like sacrifice and turn it into promise. good does it do you? Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So, we've got a house built out of yeses. We've got a tree planted by a river. We're supposed to be these unmovable forces, okay? We're supposed to be a house that can't be washed out by a storm. We're supposed to be a tree that can't be blown down by the wind. But all of this strength, according to Scripture, comes from obedience, It's what causes our roots to go deep. It's what causes our foundation to be strong. Not only is our yes important because our yes causes us to be able to lay hold of promise, we have to be obedient. I can't tell you the number of stories that people tell me about stuff that is so obvious and so clear That the choices we're making are in complete, direct violation to the laws of God and Scripture. And yet we're scratching our head wondering why we're not seeing all the things in our life that we feel that he's promised us. Why didn't he make my relationship that I'm doing completely outside of the way he tells me to do relationships be a relationship that brings ultimate fulfillment to my life and makes me complete? Why? It's like being the poor young pauper and saying, why will God not let me be complete with my stuff? Amen. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he's more concerned about the end of you than the temporal joy, not even joy, the temporal uh, feel good that you have with what you think is promise. Isaiah 61. Verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called... Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So, not only is it for our benefit that we obey because we get in to promise. But our obedience is such a significant part of how those around us are able to live life and engage God. So if we let our foundation be built then when the people's house wash out, they can come into our house. Right? Right? If we are an oak of righteousness, a tree planted by water, this is kind of where my thoughts went this week. We are significant in stopping the erosion that is happening around us. Yeah. We are trees that are planted in places where erosion is happening, and we are there to build up and to stop erosion. Trees are a significant um, weapons, significant deterrents of erosion. Yeah. And here's why trees help. Keep wind from blowing the layer of topsoil off. The topsoil is what is the most fertile part of soil. And so without trees, there's not fertile soil for seed to be sown in. And so there has to be trees in your community, in your family, in your workplaces... (laughs) To help cultivate the soil of all those that are in fellowship and in close proximity to that tree. Yes. So it's so important for us to be the tree. Yeah. Because we help preserve the topsoil, which makes people be able to. It, it's amazing. I, I'm just looking at all these deterrents that trees do, and I wouldn't have thought of this one. But one of the just gnawed dull ones is that it decreases human traffic, (laughs) right? So when you think about Mark chapter 4 and all the different reasons why seed can't be grown in certain places, trees could be the answer to all of that. If you plant a tree, it no longer is a path. And over time, topsoil will then cover the path. And then even the path that used to be a highway used to be a place where it was just about man. And it was just about man's ways. But if you put an oak of righteousness there, and it will stop all of those different things that are man's ways. And it will begin to cultivate a whole new atmosphere. And the road will become a garden. Like Jesus turned a grave into a garden. And so, you know, you look at rocks, the rocky places, you know that trees can root out rocks. Yeah. You ever had a tree come through your sidewalk? Yeah. So some seed fell on rocky places, but there's not a lot of rocky places next to the Oaks of Righteousness. Because the Oaks of Righteousness push the rocks out of the soil. Yeah. Yeah. So that the seed can fall. Trees provide a canopy. The language in one thing I was reading about how trees prevent erosion is trees. The foliage on trees, you know, the leaf will never wither, right? The foliage on trees absorb the force of the rain. The Bible says it will rain on the just and the unjust. But the oaks of righteousness will absorb some of the force of the rain before it falls on people's soil and causes them to be less likely to receive the seed. When these rains come... When these storms come, when the world is in chaos and crisis, there should be oaks of righteousness that are stopping the wind from blowing. There should be oaks of righteousness that are absorbing the energy of the rain and and protecting those that are defenseless because they have no faith. Think about Jesus on a boat. The winds and the waves. We're supposed to have that same mind in him. That although he was equal with God, he thought equality with God was not something to cling to, but he was obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. And we're supposed to have that same mind in us that causes us to be able to get on people's boats and stop waves and stop wind and stop erosion in a climate, in a culture, in a city, in a state, in a nation, in the world. We're supposed to be fortresses. We're supposed to be strongholds. We're supposed to be strong towers. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. We're supposed to be ones that carry his name. We ourselves are strong towers. We need to quit trying to run into strong towers and be strong towers. This church isn't the strong tower. You're the strong tower. Romans 8, 18, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The aramid can be translated with the glory which is to be perfected in us. Completed in us. What did the rich young ruler say? Poor young pauper say? What did Jesus tell him? If you want to be complete, do this. If you want it to be perfected in you, then suffer. Then be obedient. Not because I want to see you suffer, not because I want to see you in pain, but because you have to get a redemptive revelation of me. And you can't do that by avoiding everything and buying your way out of everything. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Or the manifestation of the sons of God. The Greek word for unveiling is apocalypsis. It's the same word for the full title of the last book of the Bible. The revelation unveiling of Jesus Christ. The created universe is but the backdrop for the dramatic appearing of God's sons and daughters unveiled with the glory of Jesus Christ upon them. The verb tense in the Greek text is clear that this unveiling is imminent, soon to happen, and destined to take place. God's glory will come to us, enter us, fill us, envelop us, and then be revealed through us as partakers of the glory. I love this. Although God will not share his glory with any other, we are no longer another. God will not share his glory with any other, but we're no longer another. For we are one with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. So now we share in his glory. And so when we are unveiled, his glory is unveiled. For against it, with the universe itself, for against its will, the universe itself has been, has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. See if this describes anything to you. Empty futility is purposelessness, frustration, or chaos. The world against its will, the universe against its will has been, has been put in a place of purposeless frustration or chaos resulted from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. <clears throat> It's so imperative that we have a yes. yes
1: sir.
0: We have to have a yes. I really feel like today, very specifically, there's people in this room that have just had a no. God's called you to certain things. God's prompted you in certain things. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, God never called me to Africa. He's probably talking about God calling people to Africa. No, I'm, I'm talking about something as simple as treat that one person that you treat really terrible at work and God's been telling you to treat them differently. God's been telling you to go out of your way And you're—he's patiently waiting on you to enter into promise until you go up Mount Moriah. That's the simple, silly things that promises hinge on. What seems silly, but they're not silly. Because we're doing things out of fear and rejection and hurt and pain. And we can't get a revelation of his redemption until we face those things. I believe so many of the yeses have to do with relationships. Have to do with people. Have to do with interaction. Have to do with hurt and pain that we avoid, don't deal with, don't talk about. And we just cut people off. I ain't planning on getting here. And we just say no. You know, the same Bible that says all those awesome promises says go to your brother. Mm -hmm. If you're offended with them. And you're still saying, why am I getting wet? And he's like, well, I don't have like the finishing parts of the promise because you will not deal with that thing. And so I can't give you promise with that bitterness in your heart. Somehow it'll get corrupted and perverted, and you'll think somehow I blessed your unrighteousness, and you can go around and just keep multiplying promise and it won't happen, and then you'll be offended with me. So I'm not going to give you something that you're going to be offended with me about. I don't know. Matthew 21. Let me close with this. Verse 28, Jesus said to his critics, tell me what you think of this parable. There once was a man with two sons. The father came to the first and said, son, I want you to go and work in the vineyard today. The son replied, I'd rather not. I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to hand that server a $100 bill. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to tell the truth about that situation at work that could cost you your job. I want you to operate in integrity in every area of your life. I'd rather not. I'd rather not. I don't know if Isaac is the promise. I mean, you know, you've made me a promise, I've got Isaac. I'm assuming he is the promise, you know, and he's just going to have a bunch of kids, you know, whatever. I don't know what the promise is, but it looks like I've got the promise. So anything now that looks like it might be different than that, I'm just going to start having a no instead of a yes. You started this thing with a yes, but now I'm going to change it to a no because I got a little taste of something and I think it's enough. I'd rather not... I'd rather not. But afterward, he deeply regretted what he said to his father, changed his mind, and decided to go to the vineyard. The father approached the second son and said the same thing to him. The the son replied, Father, I will go and do as you said. But he never did. He didn't go to the vineyard. Verse 31, tell me now, which of these two sons did the will of his father? They answered him, the first one. Jesus said, you're right, for many sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes are going into God's kingdom realm ahead of you. John came to show you the path of goodness and righteousness, yet the despised and outcast believed him, but you did not. When you saw them turn, you neither repented of your ways nor believed his words. I believe that we see this crossing of hands a lot in the church. We see the prostitutes and the drug addicts and all that seemingly... Come right past us into promise. Because we've been sitting around thinking that we can say all the right stuff without doing it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've got so far removed from. The oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, my goodness, we've got so far from removed from the destruction, from the nastiness, from the awfulness of the consequences, and we've lived just enough. We're just chilling with Isaac long enough to feel comfortable just saying no to the little things he says now. And these people that are getting brought out of their depravity, that's the word I was looking for, (laughs) we're so far removed from our depravity we forgot how destitute we were. But there's people that are coming fresh out of that. God's reaching down into nasty, filthy mire, and he's pulling them out of it. And they don't want to go back to it. And they're so hungry to enter into all he has for them that they've got this massive yes. And they say yes to whatever he says. And we just see, like, the crossing of the hand, like... Jacob did with Manasseh and Ephraim. We see the prodigals running past the older brothers when they come back, and we see the older brothers getting offended because they didn't get a party. We see the people in the church wondering why we're not being used like some of these people that just came out of sin. And it looks like judgment. Judgment. It looks like sitting around hoping and wishing that they would fall. Hoping Kanye West messes up so we don't feel so pitiful about our own stance. That's for real. That's for real. We've got so comfortable with saying no and making it feel like we said yes that we feel no. Remorse. So even when you see them turn, you still don't repent. Even when you see the ones that said no, go out and do what they said they were going to do, you still don't repent. You still don't change. You still don't go out and help them. How comfortable are we in just saying no? Actually, how comfortable are we in saying yes and then just not doing it? How comfortable are we saying that we follow Christ, but yet we never suffer? I mean, are we really following Christ? Which Christ? If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. I know this is hard. And, man, I, I mean, I, I, I just preached two weeks ago. Christians should do what they want to do when they want to do it, right? <laughs> but they should want to take up their cross and follow him. Because they know it's not subtraction. They know it's multiplication. They know that they'll join him in his suffering. They'll get a redemptive revelation of who he is. And the promise will be sweeter. The promise will be fuller. They'll be able to endure in the promise. It's like really to genuinely take in. I mean, I just see it like to really take in the fullness of the promise It's like your stomach has to be stretched or something. Your mind has to be changed and transformed. Like you can't just go right there. You got to be changed in the process. Israel couldn't just go into the promise even before they messed up, right? Even before they grumbled and complained and, and... well, I think they always grumbled and complained. But before God said you had to stay for 40 years, even before that, he still took them away around. He said because if he knew if they got into the battle before it was time, they wouldn't have had faith to fight. So he had to show them himself parting Red Sea yeah. so that they would have a redemptive revelation of who he was. If you get a promise that you don't know was completely undeserved, and you were so depraved that you could never possibly have ended up where you end up, then somehow you think you have to keep yourself there. Somehow you'll think you have to maintain yourself there, and the promise will end up being a prison. You'll get the the promise, and you'll be striving so hard to keep up with the promise and to maintain the promise and to make sure you don't get kicked out of the promise that it'll become a prison. But if on your way to the promise, you'll stop by Mount Moriah and you'll know that if it wasn't for the ram in the thicket, you'd have no promise. You'd have nothing. You're completely depraved. When you get to the promise, you don't start worrying about how long you're going to keep it. If he tells me to go lay the promise again tomorrow up on Mount Moriah, I'll do it again. And I'll see multiplication again. I'll see increase again. I'll see enlargement again. I'll expand my borders again. Whatever you want, God, I'm ready to do it. It's okay to say, I'd rather not. And then just go do it. Jesus said, I'd rather not. Didn't he? But then he did it. And he even did it looking at Joy. I think it changes from I don't want to to when we say yes, we start wanting to. Then we can do what we want to do. After we say yes to what we don't want to do in obedience. It's amazing how that works. Everybody stand up with me. Yeah. just how I planned it. John's going to finish my sermon.
1: I don't know which one I'm on. Huh. Input four. Input four? I don't, uh, it's on. Okay. Um, I, I got such a strong wind of the Holy Spirit on something he was saying earlier and I would be remorse if I left here today and did not tell you what I feel like the Spirit is saying to the church. He has preached all over you as an individual today. And and that is absolutely worthy of response and us dealing with what you as individuals are saying no to or saying yes and not doing. But there's an invitation for this body, for this church to build, to affect a city. And what I fear is that We've got a good row of yeses and we've started and we've laid some blocks. And because of our current pandemic and our current situation and and the whole, everybody take a sabbatical and rest, take a pause. What I fear is that the pause will turn into a no. And that we'll fall asleep on the pause. And we'll fall asleep. When God was trying to give rest to go back to building, we'll fall asleep. There's a prophetic word over Michael and I specifically, but I believe over the assignment of Redemption Life Church. And, and the prophetic word is your yes will be louder than the city's No. But we're just two people. And I humbly submit to you today that we can be faithful to build everything God puts in our hands. But if we're going to change a city, we're going to have to have more than two yeses. This is great. This is wonderful. We remodeled. Woo! We got one row of yeses, we got one row. Compared to what God wants to do in this city. One row. One measly row of blocks. Compared to what God wants to do in this city. And I don't want it to be said in heaven that I was ready to build. I was ready to change a city. But I ran out of blocks. I know that's heavy and it almost feels like I'm putting a yoke on you. I'm inviting you into what I believe the Spirit of God is saying to this church specifically. Yes, get your yes in your own time. It should spill out. Your yes in your privacy, in your own life should spill into a yes here. And it will look like time and surrender and sacrifice. It will look like you choosing to pursue the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of Babylon and of the world. It will look like that. But it will be worth it. And you'll see a city changed and a nation changed and the nations of the world change. And if not you, who? If not us, who? Who?
0: To put it in perspective, um, as a staff, when we meet, when we make decisions on particular things, how we're gonna do, how we're gonna communicate, how we're gonna facilitate different ministry expressions, the filter I always ask them to run that process through, is would that work at 10 campuses so when it's one person doing 50 things at this campus I say would that work let's see that would mean one person has to do 500 things there's absolutely nothing in my mind or thought process that feels that this is at any point of arrival anywhere i genuinely believe like we're barely out of the gate And it's the most exciting journey ever. I'm not, like John said, attempting to put a yoke. Uh, The worst thing you can do, you could come up in the end. You can't come up, say something, and then give it back to me. That's horrible. Um, I was joking with Josh he did all the electric work when we were doing the renovation and I mean he's completely joking because he is ready to always move forward but he was like alright we can't do anything else new for at least a year <laughs> and I said brother you're at the wrong church <laughs> and we left. He knows that, and he'll be the first one to knock it out. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> I do think that. demonic assignment attached to this virus, obviously, beside the obvious of trying to steal life and breath. But I genuinely believe, believed, let me, let me say what I believed and then say what I believed because I saw We don't go by what we see, but it's awesome. It's so exciting. I don't care how much faith you have. It's awesome when what you're believing for, you're actually seeing too. That's really exciting, you know? It's awesome to have faith, but it's really awesome when you're seeing it. So it wasn't just faith. When this thing first started hitting and we had to go to viral service, you know, uh, online service and all that stuff, I genuinely could see an uptick trajectory. It looked on the outside as a subtraction and backwards, but I really felt an increase. I felt an increase of anointing. I felt an increase of grace. I felt an increase. I felt a fresh breath at our back. And it seemed the timing. I mean we finished our sanctuary, we're getting ready to have our first service, and then this hits and we're delayed and all that stuff and it looked backwards, but what I could see in the spirit looked trending up.
1: Yes, sir.
0: But I believe not just us, but I believe this thing has wearied us. I think we were excited. We we were all like, "Yeah, this is kind of cool. This is like a novelty." Not the virus, guys. I'm not making line of the virus. I'm saying, but just doing church different, doing church fun. I mean, yeah. you know, you're ha- yeah, no school. It was exciting. You know, kind of. I mean, some parts of it were just kind of different. You know, it's cool to get things just shook up a little bit, right? And y'all were having church at home online, and and we're like. We discovered something new about God. He doesn't live here. So that's cool. I mean, there's no way that was a Mount Moriah. Not having our first service here, not having a big gathering, not having 400 people in here, which is what I hope. We were packed out, not having all of that, but going to online. That seemed like sacrificing Isaac. But what we did was we saw the Lamb. And we were reaching thousands of people every Sunday like crazy. Yes. And I think everybody had in their mind this is really cool because it's just a little break. Right. Yeah. Okay? And now it just keeps lingering. And now our faith that could, we had faith to endure for a few weeks and even kind of enjoy it because it was a little different. But I believe now we're becoming weary. And we're just kind of feeling hopeless. like where's the momentum like where's the all the stuff this is when it's time this is when it's time yes. yeah. what we have what's in us there is it is indefinable is that a word can't be defined The tone can't be set. The momentum can't be mandated. External circumstances cannot increase or decrease or make it more probable for God. Is it probable? Yeah, more probable. That God's going to move or not. That he can actually use this thing And bring increase still. But there's only so long you can look at the same thing over and over again without starting to believe possibly what is a lie is the truth and what the truth is a lie. It's hard sometimes. so it's hard to say yes it's hard to move forward we all are so afraid of what we might be saying yes to or what might be the new norm and what it may look like we've been so careful I've been so careful of language. I've been so careful to be supportive of recommendations. I've done all that stuff. But somewhere along the lines, it's just made us soft and weak and fearful. And I don't know exactly what the answers are. And moving forward, I know two pastors personally this week that have corona in their family. One pastor and one pastor's wife. In this state. And you know, I've had mouth sores in my mouth since I was a junior in high school. Sometimes so bad I can't sleep, or sleep fluctuate 60, 80 pounds. Airway of a five year old, and never one time did I think maybe I should quit preaching. How is this affecting us so differently than things that we've all fought through before? It's oppression. And I'm saying this is just another thing. I'm tired of being delicate, I'm tired of being fragile. I'm not trying to be light to it. I'll say this to you and I'll say it at your funeral. If somebody dies, it's increase. We can't we can't value life with man's system. We rejoice at death and we mourn at birth. How are we going to move forward if we're doing it all backwards? How do we say yes to what God says if we're using the wrong calculator to figure out if we're subtracting or adding or multiplying? I'm tired of it. Amen. Yeah. And I just want to break fear and intimidation and impression off of you right now in Jesus' name. We know, we've seen it in scripture, we've seen it lived out. So many times, fear cloaks itself in wisdom. Calls itself wisdom. Calls itself be using good judgment and all that stuff, but you know if it makes you wanna hide and it makes you wanna die and it makes you think you can't move forward, that's not wisdom, because wisdom is from God. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. One of my favorite scriptures throughout the years dealing with infirmity was the three Hebrew children. When threatened to be thrown into the fire, they said, Throw us into the fire. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not be careful in how to answer you. We won't be discreet in how we answer you. I am not afraid of Corona. No one in this building should be afraid of Corona. Nobody under the sound of my voice should be afraid of Corona. Why fear? Why fear? What can take your life? Because God loves me. (laughs) And he's got me. We don't have time to fear. I think this is our yesterday I think this is what we repent of today I knew today we needed to end in repentance that was my plan we have to repent there has to be a difference between the people with the foundation on rock and the people with the foundation on sand. there has to be a difference so if all of our wisdom makes us all the same, then we're using the wrong wisdom. I know of men of God that were used mightily. Is it the bubonic? Is that how you say it? Plague, yeah. bubonic plague. What was it? John J. Lake, John G. Lake. They said, that stuff will kill you. He was seeing people being healed of this plague. And they said, why would you go into it? He said, put it on me. Yes. Yeah. They looked at it under a microscope. They put this live plague on his hand. And it died. Yes. The earth is groaning. Groaning. For the revelation of the sons and daughters of God to take their place as oaks of righteousness so that the winds of corona cannot blow the soil off of their life so that they can receive the seed of God's word and it can spring forth and give them everlasting life. Let it be said the church at redemption life you know they always would say the church at a city and there's a pow church so we can't just say the church at pow we'll say the church at redemption life we'll be like a tree planted by living water We will not be moved. We will not be we will not back up. We said it last week, guys. I mean, God, I believe God is just trying to get breakthrough to us. Never in my life have I got up and laughed in front of you, but He is trying to get joy to us. He's trying to get joy to me. There has to be a breakthrough. We cannot keep looking like men look. We cannot keep making decisions based on man's wisdom. The world needs the church, the world needs the oaks of righteousness. let it rain. Let it rain. I think it's amazing. I don't know how all this works, but this, I'm just seeing this picture. The rain that, it says it rains on the just and the unjust. That wasn't a good rain in that passage. It's saying it rains on the just and the unjust. But we absorb the energy of it, and then it runs down and goes into the stream that we're planted by and ends up being what fuels us. As <laughs> long as we're connected to the stream, the rain actually is used for our benefit. <clears throat> we can't be afraid because we're the shields, we're the rescuers, we're the strong towers. We can't look like the world. Matthew 6, we can't look like the heathens and the orphans that have no father. We can't run around. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look at the lilies of the field, how they're clothed. If I'd clothed the lilies of the field that will be cast in, dried up and burned up and gone, how much more will I take care of you? don't run around in fear and dread just break oppression off you right now in jesus every word that's been spoken out of man's wisdom every demonic assignment to bring fear and a yoke of oppression on, this, on the people of God and this culture and this climate. I break, we expose it right now. I break the back of it right now. They've spoke things into existence. There's been things used for political purpose and all kinds of things, but men are using their mouth to come into agreement with demonic powers and they're releasing curses. But God, you said to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you and through you, all the nations will be blessed. Worship team, will you come real quick, please? We're just gonna battle for just a minute. We're just gonna we're just gonna kick fear in the face for just a minute. For just a minute. For just a minute. For just a minute. Just a minute. Come on, let's get a little retribution. Can we get a little retribution? I'm ticked off. I want a little retribution against fear and oppression. Yes. We're pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We're blessed beyond the curse, for his promise will endure. He will endure. He's patiently waiting on us in promise. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. Yeah. Jay- While we're singing today, if you want prayer, we're going to come into agreement with you. Break the yoke of oppression off of you. If you've been living in fear, if you've been feeling yourself slipping into despair, we want to pray with you today and agree with you. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.